Okay. We had it. We recently had um, a uh, short um, Monday night thing when we had a meeting at our house. And, uh, and Liz and Jamie were leading us in Bible study, you know, things to do for Bible study. And um, one, of the thing, one of the things that came up is if you're going to study a book, then um, it's a good idea to find out, you know, because especially if you're, you're studying an epistle, you know, a letter. But I think that's true of any book. And if you notice that when we're watching all this, where Liz has been in the Holy Land, and we're, we've been, you know, some of us have been reading their, our Bibles for a long time. And I'm watching this thing, and I'm going, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And there's an awful lot that, you know, that sheds light on what is in the Bible. I don't think you have to know that stuff, but I think it's really helpful to know a lot of those things. So let me ask a question, and we're just going to start with this. What do you know about Ephesians? It's what? Ephesus was a city. In, oh, it's in. Oh, you said in Asia. Oh, okay, yeah. Yes, it's in Asia. <laughs> uh, yes. And um, okay, what else do we know about Ephesians? It's it, there's a book in the New Testament. Okay, so Paul, I'm sorry, you'll say it a little louder. because. Okay, so Paul wrote this book to the church at Ephesus, okay? Any, yeah. It was what? What kind of letter? Circular, yeah. And that's kind of important too, we're going to see in a minute. What else? Yeah, it's the Temple of Artemis. Yeah, and I mean, that's not mentioned in there, but that's a pretty important factor. Um, anything else? Okay, um... Okay, the, the, well, let me get, oh, come on, here we go. All right, let's go to. 
revelation. Can you take a hint? Yes, there we go. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's actually mentioned in Acts, and uh, it's mentioned in, in Revelation. So, uh, okay. Oh, that's more. oh yeah. Okay, this is to uh, this is Revelation two, um, verses. I mean, this, starting at the top of the chapter. Write this to the angel of the church uh, in Ephesus. Those words are spoken by the one who holds the seven stars safe in his right hand, and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know what you have done. I know how hard you have worked. And what you have endured. I know that you have, will not tolerate wicked men, that you have put to the test self styled apostles who are nothing of the sort and have found them to be liars. I know your powers of endurance, how you have suffered for the sake of my name and have not grown weary, but I hold this against you that you do not love as you did at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent. And live as you lived at first. Otherwise, if your heart remains unchanged, I shall come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. All right? So now in the times they're mentioned, it's mentioned in Acts or during Paul's um, missionary journeys. His, uh, the second and third. And I think it was on the third, he spent two to three years there establishing the church. And there's a good reason for that. So let's go. uh, Well, first of all, this this letter to the Ephesians was written by Paul. And it was written from 60 to 62 A.D., somewhere in there. Uh, And he he, he was imprisoned in Rome. And all that is, it doesn't say 60 to 62, but it does say... He's a prisoner in Rome. Okay. um, Now, if we could, here's where I'd like to throw some background on this. So, uh, Jimmy, have you got that graphic? You know, we know that the New Testament is taking place in the Mediterranean world. And um, so, what could you find Ephesus? If everybody is young, okay, it's where it says Asia, look right underneath that, Asia in purple or blue or whatever that is, and right below that is Ephesus, all right? Now, yeah, right there. Okay, now here's the thing about Ephesus, um, and, and it First of all, it was the third largest city in the Medit- in the entire Greco-Roman world. Rome was the largest city. Alexandria down here in Egypt 
was the second largest city. Ephesus was the third largest city. And it had a, about a quarter of a million people living there. Now, um, you can certainly read this book without knowing that and, and, and get a lot from it. But just if you have, if you want to invest a little time and attention into this, there's a lot of stuff in here that makes a lot, to me, makes a lot more sense. Um, it was, uh, it, it was a wealthy city. It was a trading city. It was a port city. Uh, it was the site of the, uh, the temple of Artemis. And there was a cult of Artemis. Now, when we say cult, don't confuse that with a cult. Because the place was rampant with cults. I mean, it's like the rest of the Middle East, but Ephesus especially because it was such an international city. And they tolerated each other's religions. As long as you tolerated theirs, they tolerated yours. So that sounds fair except that it runs afoul of the truth. We'll get to that. And, and that temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the world. I mean, it was a, you know, it, this was a big deal. Now, when we get to Art to the temple of Artemis and we get to the, the worship of Artemis and Artemis is one of the, you know, Greek, uh, I mean, it's, you know, the, the Romans kind of adopted most of the Greek gods and goddesses and so forth. And um, so this was, this was already, you know, this goes way back. <coughs> um, so, Paul has helped establish this church. This church is not a single, there's not a building in Ephesus called the Church of Ephesus. Uh, the problem is, is Christians are, are ha having a hard time. And the reason they're having a hard time is they're not real good at saying, Okay, I'll believe in, you know, I, if you believe in Jesus, and they were, you know, they were, people were excited about that, but, it says, but, but, but that would mean I would have to believe in Artemis or some of 50 other gods, and that's not cool. So that's one of the things they had to guard against, and it, it comes up in here. And another thing is um, that Paul, this Paul has long established. And just remember that the revelation thing is many years after this epistle, this letter from Paul. All right, so they haven't established church, but what Paul is doing is Paul is taking, is writing a letter to the church 
that he helped plant and he put a lot of time and effort into. So it's a six-chapter book. Now, obviously, Paul didn't have chapter 1, verse 3, and so forth. But for our convenience, they are so labeled. So essentially what we have is we have this letter and the first three chapters, roughly, are um, the principles they are not to abandon. You have to be very careful not to abandon these things. And the last three chapters are about practical aspects of how do we take these principles and employ them in our, in our, in our lives. <coughs> so just for example, in uh, chapter 1, he starts off with a greeting to the first couple of verses or greeting. And then... Uh, uh, three uh, verses three through fourteen. He's uh, praising God uh, for what He's done for all of them, and then uh, He's praising fifteen through twenty-three. He praises God for the uh, Ephesian Christians. Chapter two, the first ten verses. Um, we were dead, now we're alive. 11 through 22, you were Gentiles, we were Jews, now God has made us one. So we don't go by those labels anymore. Um, 3, 1 through 13, Paul has made, uh, was made minister to the Gentiles. He's letting them know that God appointed him that, that way. 14 through 21, Paul prays that they may know God's power in practice. And uh, that, was the, that was the prayer in Ephesians that when, when we did the songwriting thing that Easter, that we made a song about that, and it's a very powerful prayer. Now, th those three chapters are unifying principles. They are things that's like, don't forget this. These are the things that brought us together. These are the things, where this is where God has made us one. But then the next three, the last three, are about how to apply these principles individually and in groups. And there is a an important reason why. Now, that's just a good idea anyway. However, with them, it was a good idea because this worship of Artemis um, would be a very feminizing influence. I mean, the idea here is, I mean, Artemis is a feminine deity, and um, anyway, so the idea is this was the kind of thing where a lot of the things that you would go to other areas in the Roman Empire or other areas where there were other churches and so forth, it was not as strong an influence 
as the idea of, you know, women's roles. What is it that women, you know, you know there was sort of a, a cultural, this is what men do, this is what women do. And that's why I'm going to say that th there are areas in the book of Ephesians that are the least taught on today in our culture than virtually any of the other epistles. Because we're nervous about these roles of men and women. And part of it is because we have read these, we've grown up reading them in King James or New American Standard or NIV or about 15 other translations. And we have these ideas of what these words mean. But I'm using... I'm using... Well, let me just say before I, I go there um, that the rest of the book, Christians should be as one even though... God's gifts vary, but it's the same God. You see that about individuals, right? There are a variety of gifts, but there's one God. Maturity is growing up into Christ. The new life is a positive good. Evil and good are like darkness and light. These are not paper-thin difference between the two. They're night and day. And if you have that, then show it. Husbands and wives, parents and children, servants and masters. And then finally, to cap the book off, there is prepare yourself. And that's the whole armor of God thing that we all know about, right? So what I'm going to look at is I'm going to look at the husbands and wives thing because that's the touchy one. Right? Because I'm going to, it's, it's either, you know, or you're going to be this old school male, what is it, patriarchy, whatever, or you're going to be the, you know, all people are equal kind of thing or whatever. And it really doesn't say either of those things. All right? Okay. Now, I'm using the J.B. Phillips translation. And I'm using this. That, that happens to be the one I'm reading right now. And I've read it. I've read it. I've read it ever since I first ran into it. <coughs> Probably in the early 70s. Um, so, and J.B. Phillips was still alive. Um, it is a translation. It is translated from Greek, but he's translated it in a, it, it doesn't sound as religious 
as some of the other things. But it is a translation. So, uh, starting with verse 22, we got that. Okay, good. Uh, you wives must learn to adapt yourself to your husbands. I really like the way that's put. As you submit yourselves to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife in the same way that Christ is head of the church and savior of the body. So, I just like that thing about adapt yourself. And again, this is, he's, you know, he's a Greek scholar. He knows these words. And there are some words that have become loaded. And adapt is, that's just not too loaded to me. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, somebody's going to have to adapt. One of two people. If this relationship is going to last a lifetime, <coughs> then one of the two is going to have to adapt. I'm not saying that both don't have to adapt somewhat. Not a true feminine response. <laughs> no, I, but I, I mean, I said it first, right? Um, but, I mean, yeah, everybody's going to have to adapt. But when it comes down to it, who is the one who has to ultimately adapt? You know, it says, wives must learn to adapt yourselves to your husbands. Okay. Uh, now we move on to 25. Yeah, let's go to the next couple of verses. The... Uh, Yeah, there we go. <clears throat> Excuse me. But remember, this means that the husband must give his wife the same sort of love that Christ gave to the church. Oh, there's that part. What kind of love did Christ give to the church? I'm sorry, what? Unconditional to the point where he ended up on a cross, right? Seriously. So, yeah, I mean, the idea here is in a marriage, if there's going to be a crucifixion, it's probably going to be the husband. Doesn't that sound about right? I'm just going by what this says. <coughs> when he sacrificed himself for her, Christ gave himself to make her holy, having cleansed her through the baptism of his word to make her an altogether glorious church in his eyes. She is to be free from spots, wrinkles, or any other disfigurement, a church holy and perfect. Now, it's true that Paul does seem to go there and to 
you know, less about the wife and more about the church. But the principle that he's talking about is, is that Jesus gave himself for the church. He sacrificed himself for her so that she might be made those things. So the husband must give his wife the same sort of love that Christ gave to the church. Okay, let's, uh, yeah. Men ought to give their wives the love they naturally have for their own bodies. The love a man gives his wife is the extending of his love for himself to enfold her. Nobody ever hates or neglects his own body. He feeds and looks after it, and that is what Christ does for his body, the church. And we are all members of that body. We are his flesh and blood. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The marriage relationship is doubtless a great mystery. There are many, many, many true and powerful things in the scripture, and that's one of them. Because, you know, it, it is a mystery. But I am speaking of something deeper still, the marriage of Christ and his church. In practice, what I have said amounts to this. Let every one of you who is a husband love his wife as he loves himself. Let the wife reverence her husband. Now, I'm... I'm Pointing that out because this is a this is a place where that would be that would be argued, and it's in a way it would be argued the way it would be argued today in our country, and in our culture. <coughs> there are there are times when that would not be especially argued. I mean, it, it would be, it's been abused. You know, it's like, you know, woman, do what I say, or that kind of thing. I mean, that, there, there's plenty of that. But that's not what this says. It says adapt yourselves. And at the same time, it's telling the husband to give himself to sacrifice himself for his wife. Now, the point of this is in a culture that was very dominated or heavily influenced, let me put it that way, heavily influenced by, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know why I have trouble with that um, that's heavily influenced by these thoughts that are causing people you know these this turmoil and dissension and so forth but that's just one example and I picked that one 
because it's one of those that's like we don't like to, we don't like to go there. I mean, that's the kind of thing that if you go there and you have husbands and wives in the service, they're going to go home and they're going to talk about it. Perhaps argue about it. All right? I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying I'm, I'm doing that because that one is a real touchy one. It's, it's, you know, it's not quite as touchy on the, let's see. Why won't my, never mind. Uh, <clears throat> I have no luck using a touch screen up here. I don't know why I try. Um, okay, so my main point here is that it doesn't make it, it does, we, we are perfectly capable, if we can read the language, we're perfectly capable of understanding, assimilating, incorporating the things that Paul is telling the church at Ephesus. And this was a, again, this was a letter that was a uh, circular letter, right? I think that's the term. Um, because they're, they're not all meeting in one place. These are, they're essentially uh, small group meetings, home churches, things like that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. No, her, uh, her brother's in the hospital, and she's, that's where she was, and she came over here. But, um, <clears throat> so that was just really just an example, just a thing of how he takes, how Paul takes in the first three chapters. He takes the principles of Christianity, and then in the last three chapters, he just goes bang, 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 and he starts talking about, how we can apply these. Because anytime, you know, I mean, it's a good idea. If somebody gives you a bunch of rules and no principles or gives you principles and no application, it's, you know, it's, you, can, you can get off track there. But he doesn't. He, he provides the principles and the application. Now, Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for all of the resources you make available to us. We know, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is really all we really need in order to understand what you would have us understand from your word. But you've also given us a vast, vast amount of information that we can use to gain further insight. And we just ask that you would show us how to use it. For those of us who want to do that, who desire to know your word in a deeper way, then... We just call out to you and ask you to do that work in us. 
In Jesus' name, amen.